Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. Get those out and turn with me to the book of Acts. And we're going to read a section here that concludes the book of Acts in chapter 28. We started journeying through Acts back at the beginning of the year. We had a couple times where we went away from that, but this is, will be the 24th message in the book of Acts. And so we bring this series to a conclusion, but it's sort of like telling you the end to the beginning. That's kind of the way the book of Acts ends. And so I know you all just settled into your chairs, but I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. I'm going to start reading in chapter 28, verse 16. Luke finishes this book this way. He says, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain." And they replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that the people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying." He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For the people's hearts, heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ and with, with all boldness and without hindrance. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And you can be seated. It seems like there should be more to the book of Acts, right? That just kind of tapers off. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
my Bible has an exclamation point at the end. Now, if you ask me, sort of an odd way to end a book that has so much information, history, action in it. If I were writing the book of Acts, I might have ended it differently. Maybe that's why I didn't write the book of Acts. <laughs> you know, for, from chapter 21 all the way to the end of chapter 28, we have been looking at, reading about uh, Paul's arrest in Jerusalem, and then he gets caught up in the legal system, and he appears before this person and that person and the other guy, and he ends up in jail waiting his hearing, if you will, for two years. It's passed around. Finally, he had made an appeal to Caesar, and okay, your case is up. We're going to Rome. And, and 20, chapter 21 all the way to the end of 28 is this harrowing journey, really, of Paul getting the gospel and himself to Rome. Chapter 27 is full of the whole travel narrative, the violent storm and a shipwreck and a snake bite and ministering to all sorts of people along the way. The way that Luke tells us the story, we're, we just get kind of drawn in, like, tell me more about that. What's going to happen to this guy, Paul, when he gets to Rome? And so we get to the end, and it says that he preached the word with, with all boldness and without hindrance, and, and it comes to an end, and we don't have answers to lots of our questions. What happens to Brother Paul? When does he get to see Caesar? How does that trial work out? Does he get to fulfill his mission? Does he go away a free man? And is he able to pursue a fourth missionary journey? Because he always, you know, he had this vision like he was going to take the gospel as far as Spain. Does he get to do that? Where's the answers to my questions here? Maybe I'm the only one who has these questions, but it just seems like Luke has gone to painstaking attention and detail to tell us all about this journey in some very specific ways, and then we get to the end, and it's like, whoop, okay, on to the next. We're, we're done with the book of Acts. We're going to turn the page. And I think maybe we get those questions when we confuse ourselves with exactly why Luke set out to write the book of Acts. Luke did not write the book of Acts to give us some ancient form of Facebook where we could peer into these disciples and early believers' lives on occasion and just see what's going on and the trouble they stirred up and the gain, the ground that they gained and the, and the people who believe their message about Jesus. Luke wrote the book of Acts to talk about the work the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit who was let loose into the world at the very beginning of the book of Acts. The book is not about 
the people per se in the book of Acts. The, the book is about focusing on the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and the development of the church spurred on by the Holy Spirit's movement. We learn in verse 16 that when Paul arrived in Rome, he, he arrived as a prisoner. And that's maybe not how he had envisioned bringing the gospel to Rome. I mean, remember back, he was in a jail cell. He had just been through uh, a riot, a beating. I mean, he was at, on the verge of death. The crowd, the mob in Jerusalem really wanted to just shred him apart, and he was saved by the Roman soldiers. Do you remember that part? So he's laying there at night, contemplating life, and Jesus shows up. That's when Jesus shows up. I love that. And Jesus reassures him, take courage. Just as you've been faithful to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, you're going to do the same thing in Rome. So despite whatever you're going to face, all the trouble along the way, the storm, the shipwreck, the snake bite, you're going to be my witness in Rome. Now, as a preacher, if I get this promise from Jesus, I'm, I might think that my entry into Rome might be a little bit more honorable and grandiose than coming into town in chains. I might envision myself going to the church in Rome because we already know that there are believers there because Paul has written them a letter. We call it the book of Romans. I, I would imagine maybe he thought about, I can go and visit the different house churches and meet all of the believers that are there. And they can show me around this great city, the center of the empire, really the center of the world. And I can find all of these preaching points in the city. And isn't it going to be awesome that I can go with my brothers and sisters in the Lord to these public places and proclaim the gospel of Jesus? But that's not how it happens. He enters Rome as a prisoner. And after everything that Brother Paul has been through, I don't think that we would fault him at all for maybe harboring a little bitterness and resentment. Like, I've gone through all of this to spread the gospel of Jesus, and I have to show up in Rome in chains as a prisoner. But he wasn't waiting for some future moment of glory and freedom. He was looking to live every single moment in the present to the glory of God. He's not complaining. We find him looking for ways to proclaim the word wherever he is and under any circumstance that he faces. So I could spend a long time 
developing this into a, a sermon, but I, wanna, I want you to write just this one thought down. Wherever the Lord has you, make him known. Wherever the Lord has you, make him known. Verse 30, we, we jump over that middle section. We go from 16 to verse 30, and, and we read, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Paul was allowed to have visitors. Anyone could come and go from this place of residence, and he was free to talk about whatever he wanted. You see, the Romans didn't really think that there was much of a case against Paul in the first place. And Paul would have likely have been a free man if he hadn't made an appeal to Caesar. So he's sort of a formality in the Roman system here. They're not really worried that he is going to lead any sort of uprising. He's not a man of great stature, and so where a prisoner under house arrest normally would have two guards, he had one, and he was allowed to have people come and see him freely. And the last two verses of Acts tell us that he welcomed all who came to see him in his home. And from this place, he preached about the kingdom. He taught people about Jesus. And so we see him practicing things that any good church ought to be doing. He welcomed people, extended hospitality. He enjoyed fellowship with those who came in and out of his front door. And while they were there, he, he taught them. He, he proclaimed the kingdom. He talked about what God's work was doing in and around the world and what he had seen. He's proclaiming the kingdom of Jesus has come. And he's teaching these people what it means to be a Jesus follower. Right there, in the prison cell of his home, this brother is making disciples and preaching the kingdom and extending hospitality to people. Well, that's sermon number two, but that's not the one that, that I want to develop this morning. But it's a good thought to jot down. Eugene Peterson, he says that Paul's door was always open. Eugene Peterson writes the message um, paraphrase of the Bible, and he ends the book of Acts saying that Paul's door was always open. And I really liked the metaphor of, of that picture. That's a good visual for us to think about our own lives. Do we have an open door policy on our life? Do you have an open-door policy on our faith? Do you have an open-door policy on your home? Do we have, do we have an open-door policy here at our church? Open doors are, are nice. Maybe, maybe it's easy to think about open doors in terms of how we feel when doors are closed. Uh, back in high school, I... I went on a, a missions trip, and we spent some time uh, in Europe, and one of our stops was in Paris. And one of our free time activities, a group of us got to go visit the Louvre Art Museum. Now, I, am a, I love Impressionism. And the Louvre has one of the best Impressionistic galleries in the entire world. 
So when I learned months before that one of our stops was going to be at the Louvre, I got excited. And I checked out some books from the library to, to have a better understanding of which pieces of art were going to be there that I might be able to see. And our stop in Paris was maybe halfway through our nine-week summer. And all that time, I'm thinking about this moment where I'm going to see some of the art that I just absolutely love. So we get there, we're walking through and into the museum, and uh, the first thing that I want to do is like, I, I don't care about all this other stuff right now. It's really awesome. But I need to go to see the Impressionist Gallery. The person at the counter said, I'm, I'm sorry, son, but the Impressionist Gallery is closed for cleaning today. What? <laughs> Months building up to that. It's, can I just, can I just peek in there? No, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's totally closed. It'll be open tomorrow. I'll be in Switzerland tomorrow. I can't come back. I mean, that's a small thing in this grand scheme of things. But do you know the emptiness when a door closes on you? The build-up, and then the letdown. It's not just art galleries, but prejudice and discrimination closes doors for lots of people. Imagine the emptiness that people feel when your hopes are set on one thing and a door is shut in your face. There's people in our community seeking help for lots of different things. You imagine the ache in their soul when they go to place after place after place and they find that the door is closed. Paul was a known person in the Roman Empire attached to Christianity. The, the Jewish people that he called in to have that little meeting, they didn't know about his situation back in Jerusalem. But I think that they did know that Paul was attached to Christianity, and they wanted to ask him more about that. Paul had written a letter to the church that was gathering in and around Rome. And word got out that Paul was coming and people traveled by foot 30 to 40 miles outside of Rome to greet him. There was a little bit of excitement and a buzz that Paul, Paul's coming to town. Imagine the ache, the hurt, the emptiness that they might have felt if Paul said, you know what, they've got me locked up and in chains. I can't do anything. My door is closed. You're going to have to come back another time when all of this gets ironed out, when my life is going a little bit better. 
No, Paul knew. Paul sensed that his calling was much deeper than that. When you're a follower of Christ, your door is always to be open. Always. We're to be open for business in welcoming people, extending hospitality and fellowship, in proclaiming that the kingdom of Jesus has come near, and sharing with people about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Paul had this open-door policy that he practiced. He didn't have a stop sign on his front door that said, hey, please come back when my case is closed. The first people that he invited were those Jewish leaders. He wanted to clear up anything that they might have heard. and He wants to reassure them, I'm not against our people. I'm not against our customs. I'm not preaching against those things. But he turns... He turns the conversation to Jesus by saying, it's because of the hope of Israel. They would have understood this. The Jewish people understood that there was a hope that, that was um, illuminated in their scriptures. They were all hoping for this hope of Israel, waiting for God to send his Messiah to rescue them. Just at the time, they didn't believe it was Jesus. And so Paul opens the Jesus conversation by saying, it's because of this chain, it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm in, that I'm in this chain. So he, he kind of draws them in, well, tell me more about that. We, we believe that there's a hope of Israel, and it's because of that that you're in the chain, and yet Paul says it's Jesus. Your scriptures have been pointing to Jesus all the way along, brothers, believe me. Come to faith. Open your eyes. They wanted to hear more, and some of them were convinced, and some of them uh, were just, they just balked at the whole idea. And, and then they got in this argument amongst themselves. It says that Paul spent from morning until evening, dawn to dusk, to teach these brothers, to share Jesus with them. Which, you know, it's probably a good lesson for us that when we share our faith with people, when we encourage people to maybe change their worldview from one that's more secular to one that's Christian, it's going to take a whole lot more time than just a three-minute elevator speech. Now, being able to share your faith and what God is doing in your life in small nuggets is a really good thing to have because sometimes all you are is a seed planter and sometimes people will ask and we are supposed to be ready and have an answer. Like, why did, you know, you totally should have been angry and blown up at that person for what they did to you, but you didn't. Why, why not? Well, let me tell you what motivates me. It's this guy named Jesus who calls me out of my anger to respond with more grace and love. And it's really hard sometimes, but I've really been working on it, and I've seen some transformation in my own life, and that's what works for me. I could tell you more about him. Ding, you get off at your floor and you move on. 
But to convince somebody that their worldview may be inaccurate and they need to adopt one that's more Christian probably isn't going to happen on an elevator or in passing between classes at school. It's going to take some time, and Paul was willing to invest whatever time he had. Well, I guess that's sort of unfair because he's chained to his house and to a guard. He had all the time in the world. But the picture for us is it takes time, and we need to be patient and understanding and willing to unpack details. And you know what? It's good for us, too, because you might feel like I've had a heart transformation, and I, I believe this, but I, I just don't know everything yet, and that's okay. Because when you're trying to teach it to somebody else and help them understand your own transformation, it forces you to dig in deeper and, and learn. And you grow through it, the process, as well. Some were convinced, some were not. They argue amongst themselves. And Paul sends them off with these words that the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophet Isaiah. He says, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing, but never perceiving. Your hearts have become calloused. Now that quote from Isaiah appears in all four Gospels and in Acts. It's a popular one with our biblical authors. What Paul is saying is you're rejecting the light of Jesus, and when you reject the light, you become blind. Uh, Simple science will tell you that if you don't have light, you can't see, right? I mean, that's a no-brainer. If you don't have light, you're rendered blind. If you take a picture of, with a camera in low light, unless you have a super long shutter and just a hint of light, your picture's going to come out dark. What Paul is saying is that Jesus has come. The hope of Israel is here. He's the one that came and taught and walked in Israel and ministered to people and healed people. He's the one that they arrested and tried and crucified. He's the one that they buried, and he's the one that God raised from the dead. Amen. And through this person, Jesus you too can have your connection to God restored. He's the hope of Israel. The scriptures have been pointing to the suffering Messiah all along. He's the hope of the nations. He's the light of the world, and you're shutting the light out, and you're blind. That's Paul's message that he leaves them with. He's right there in front of you, and you're putting a bag over your head, and you're putting your hands over your ears and you're saying, la, 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 la. And you're missing it. And he's right there. See, the door of their hearts was closed, locked. And, and when the door of your heart is closed and locked and the big bar comes down on it and you put a padlock on it, it's probably not open to other people who might come to you. Jesus wants us to have open hearts personally, collectively as a church. It's in Revelation chapter 3. 
Jesus is talking to a church in Laodicea. It's the one that we like to co-opt in talking to people about uh, opening their heart to Jesus. And, we, and as Jesus says, here I am, I, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come into him or her and eat with them and they with me. Revelation 3.20. Jesus is talking to the church. A church in Laodicea that was lukewarm, that was indifferent, that was apathetic, that was uninterested. They were conditioned by safety to keep their doors closed. They were trained to be cautious and guarded in their lives, and they, they didn't want to get hurt. They didn't want to go all in. The door is closed, and Jesus says, I'm knocking. I'm knocking. I'm standing here. Would you just... Open the door. See, Jesus is knocking at the front door here. I hope that he's knocking on your heart. And I pray that our church would just throw open the door to Jesus and let him come in. Let him dine with us and us with him. Let the Holy Spirit just unleash on this place and blow through here and change us and transform us and shake us and rattle us and open all of the doors in all of the places where we might just be closed off. Paul's door, Luke says, was always open. People would come and go freely. And he would welcome them, and he would fellowship with them, and he would proclaim the kingdom, and he would teach them how to be disciples. Luke closes the book of Acts with, a, with the statement that Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Unhindered. That's the very last word in the book of Acts. The one word, unhindered. Really? Unhindered? Nothing stopping him? After all that we've seen throughout the whole book of Acts that would suggest otherwise, Luke gets to the end and says Paul was able to do all of this chained to a Roman guard in his house, not able to go out and about and preach. And Luke says that Paul proclaimed the word unhindered. That blows me away. Nobody was stopping him. That's where our confusion can get in the way. We want more at the end of the book of Acts because we want to make the story about all of the people and all of what happens to them and what, what does Paul do when, he's, when, he can, when he gets his time before Caesar. And Luke didn't write the book to tell us about that. He wrote the book to tell about Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we get all the way to this point and 
we figure out that Luke isn't talking about Paul when he says unhindered. He's making a provocative claim about the gospel message, that the gospel is unstoppable. When it goes out, it will bring a return to the Lord, that it cannot be contained by anything or held back or chained up. The gospel's unstoppable. It's unhindered. You remember Jesus when Peter had made that great confession of faith and Jesus gave him the keys to the kingdom of heaven and and Jesus tells Peter, it's on this confession that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gospel message is going to go out. The church is going to continue on and move forward. The, the word of God will go out and do its work in the world, and nothing can stop it. Nothing. When you read the stories of the adventures of Paul, chapters 13 and, and on, you can see that he has this amazing amazing set of victories. He takes a lot of ground for the kingdom and introduces so many thousands of people to Jesus. He arrives in cities and he preaches and people respond and churches are formed and that's good. That's good stuff. But inside all of these stories is this motif of resistance and Paul faces severe opposition about every turn you can imagine. Think of how many times in the book of Acts that Luke tells us all about the ways that the devil tried to shut the door on the gospel. I mean, just in Paul's ministry, Acts 13, 49 and 50, right in the middle of his first missionary tour in the city of Pisidian Antioch. He faces severe persecution, and they, they kick him out of the city. Acts chapter 14. He leaves that place, and he goes down to Lystra, and the mob from Pisidian Antioch and Iconium, they follow him down there. They find him, and they convince the people of this town that this guy is a quack, and they beat him. They stone him, and then they drag him out of the city. Acts 16. We're in his second tour now. He's stripped and beaten and thrown into jail. Acts chapter 17. He's threatened in Thessalonica. Acts chapter 19. The people of Ephesus are furious and with him, and, and they turn on him. And then Acts chapter 21 all the way through 26, Paul gets lost in that legal shuffle. He goes to Jerusalem against the counsel of all of his wise friends, and it doesn't go well, and he ends up in jail for two years. He almost dies there. And then we get to Acts chapter 27 and 28, and Acts chapter 27 details in... in, uh, precise detail, the sailing adventure to get to Rome, and how a northeaster blew off the island of Crete, and they're sailing in the fall, when you don't really sail in that kind of a ship in, at the end of fall, in late fall, October, November, you stop sailing those seas about September, becomes dangerous. And here they are out, maybe in October, and this wind comes down, and there's this hurricane gale force wind that catches the ship and just has its way with it. 14 days. No sun, no moon, no stars. Dark. 
The soldiers think that they ought to just kill all the prisoners, Paul being one of them. But in the moment of all of that, Paul rallies them, tells them of the promise of the Lord that, hey, I'm going to make it to Rome. You haven't eaten anything for days. Here, have, have something to eat. And he breaks bread on that boat in the middle of this storm. And lo and behold, they make it through, only to land and for Paul to be around a fire and get bit by a poisonous snake, which he shakes off. And the people, the people thought he got bit. They're a little superstitious. They thought he got bit by the snake because he had escaped his punishment in the shipwreck. And he was, he shook the snake off and he had no ill effects. And he was able to use that to proclaim Jesus to these people. And he finally makes it all the way to Rome. And woven throughout the whole book of Acts, there's this motif of opposition and rejection and resistance. And if you want to read about what all of this opposition did to Brother Paul, just look up 2 Corinthians and read chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. Any of these things could have had the final word in Acts. Any of them. With everything we've read you would think that the spread of the gospel would be hindered, slowed down, brought to a screeching halt, that the hope would be lost and that fear and discouragement would have set in, but you'd have to think again. Because sprinkled throughout the whole book of Acts, Luke reminds us of how the gospel went forth. The gospel multiplied. More and more people came to faith. The church grew in the face of the opposition. The gospel will go and bring results. The gospel thrives when it is rejected. Because it's reaching to people who are just looking for a door to be open. And the gospel opens the door to them and reaches them in their hurt and their brokenness and their pain and their rejection and the discrimination that they face and all the prejudice that they go through in life. The gospel door is, is open wide and it'll advance despite all of those schemes and tricks that the devil will cook up. So you might feel like you're in a dead-end situation. I mean, Paul, he found himself in, in a house chained to a, a Roman guard. You might feel like you're in the same kind of prison, chained to some situation or problem or addiction or bad relationship where the people are just out to get you. You might feel like you're slowed down by health issues or by age, whether it's young or old. You might feel like you're shipwrecked and washed ashore and snake-bitten. You might just be waiting for a better day. And until that point, you know, I'm just going to close my door. I'm just going to protect myself for a while until I have a better day. Let me tell you, don't think for a second that God can't use you as a vessel of his grace. When you open the doors of your heart, the gospel is not chained or restricted, even if you are. I had a friend, his name was Ray. He, uh, 
He was confined to a wheelchair. And it got later in his life, and, well, they had to move him to a care facility. And he, he knew when he went to the care facility that he wasn't going there to get better. He was going there to die. And I would go and I would see Ray and he would be chained to an oxygen mask, chained to a heart monitor. You would think, you could say, you could describe this small, warm, stuffy room as a prison of sorts. He's under house arrest. He's a believer. And this brother's door was open wide. The door of his room, I, I would go and sit with him on occasion. And it was hard to get a word in with Ray because so many people were coming in and out of his room. Every nurse that came on shift stopped by Ray's room and, and he would give them a word of blessing and encouragement for their day. As they clocked out and went home, they would, they would bring their prayer concerns to Ray because they knew that he loved them. They knew that he cared and they knew that he prayed for them. And when he could, he'd have an orderly disconnect his equipment and help him shuffle up and down the hall. He had his Bible open and he'd just share a word with people in their room. A guy, a guy like this, we wouldn't blame him if he just packed it in. Laid there, chained in that prison, not able to do a whole lot. I don't think we would have faulted him for just resting. His heart was open. And the gospel went out freely. And it took ground in that care facility. People knew. People knew Ray. From Paul's home, the gospel went forth. The gospel itself is unstoppable. It, the word is going to go out with or without you. We, we all have the choice to make. Do we want to have an open door or do you want to have a closed door? You can't have, your door is either open or closed. Even if it's open just a crack, it's still open. It's open or it's closed. Then you get to make the choice. I would encourage us, I would encourage you, I pray that you, I pray that we, would allow the Holy Spirit to just bust the door open so that we can have moments like one that I had during our block party. A guy and his boy came in. And I don't really care at this point what you think of having a Halloween block party. I can tell you we do it for this very reason. We had about 500 people walk through our doors people from the community that I would love to see here 
in this moment right now. There are people in blocks radius of us who need to hear about Jesus, and they need to know that there's a place that has an open door for them. One gentleman came in, and he got to talking with one of you, and he ended up in a conversation with me, and he started crying because his wife is having some health issues that are pretty serious. And right in the chapel, when there are probably 50 or more people going around to all the little booths, I got to lay my hands on him and pray for him and for his wife and for his son. That's the kind of place I can envision for this place to be. When all of us, together, let the Holy Spirit blow the doors of our hearts open. You probably are looking at the clock. And I have story after story that I want to share. And and all of that's a way to say is I'm not really sure how to end this message. If I'm honest, I don't know how to close out this sermon. So I tell you what, you're going to have to leave this place and go finish it for me somewhere. The people of God said, Amen. Amen.